chapter six of the tower of london by arthur poyser this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six all hallows barking by the tower part one calm soul of all things make it mine to feel amid the city's jar that there abides a peace of thine man did not make and cannot mar matthew arnold on the southwest side of tower hill there stands the oldest parish church in london but beyond the earliest date that we find any portion of the present building mentioned it is more than probable that a still more ancient church occupied this piece of ground consider the importance of the site the approach to london from the sea was then as now a somewhat dreary progress between the mud-flats that fringed the river on the northern bank the rising ground now known as tower hill would be the first relief to the eye after the wearying essex marshes beyond and behind that hill lay the little city and beside that hill was set a church but with the building of the white tower the church was eclipsed as a landmark for boats on the river and now it is quite obscured from the waterside by hideous brick warehouses that only men of the nineteenth century could conceive and erect in early days this church stood on the edge of london now it is in its very centre yet few buildings equally well preserved have altered as little as this old building has this fair church on tower hill and we have here handed down to us much that is unique as a record not only of english history but of the progress of architecture the furnishings of the church the carvings and wrought ironwork also carry us through generations of activity in such arts and the pavement brasses and sculptured tombs serve as memorials of many a famous englishman the church has an additional interest in being the nearest ancient building outside the tower walls and in having received for burial victims from the block on tower hill yet the close connection of this ancient church with the tower and its history has not hitherto been sufficiently emphasized it is well therefore that we should give all hallows some of our time when we have explored and examined the tower itself four hundred years before the conqueror laid the foundation stones of the white tower a cluster of cottages on the edge of tower hill and lying not far from the old gate of the old walls of london constituted the germ of the present parish and stood within sight of the earlier church what the history of the church was then we have no means of knowing but as it would be the first building of importance that danish invaders came upon during their onslaughts on london it must have passed through exciting times in those old days of raid and turmoil erkenwald a seventh-century bishop of london founded the convent at barking in essex of this convent his sister st ethelburga became first abbess and the abbesses of barking were not only mitred but were in after days peeresses of the realm erkenwald made over certain rights of the land upon which the parish is now spread to this convent of barking and in return a priest was supplied from the community to serve the religious needs of the parishioners it was thus the surname barking was acquired it is however a surname that is somewhat misleading as printers even to this present day have an awkward habit of placing a comma between all hallows and barking and so send many who would visit the church on an empty quest into essex 
but the poor printer is not altogether to blame the people here have a way of calling themselves barking people and of referring to the parish as barking parish this leads to unnecessary confusion the only alternative would be to retain the term on tower hill and ask the good folks of the essex town to adopt some other name as it is improbable that either of these suggestions will be taken seriously a return to the ancient title Birking church by the tower might solve the difficulty the parish system in england took its rise under theodore archbishop of canterbury a d six six eight and the number and boundaries of the parishes as we know them to-day agree very nearly with the parochial divisions in doomsday book the ground now included in allhallows parish was undoubtedly included in roman london which extended from tower hill to dowgate hill the present Fenchurch and lombard streets forming the line of its northern boundary eastward of the parish lay marsh and forest the great forest of essex of which so wide and unspoilt a portion remains to us in epping forest in ten eighty seven when a great fire devastated the city a church in the norman style took the place of the saxon building and the nave pillars of all hallows date from that time of these pillars the one that shows its great age more than the others which after successive cleanings look almost new is that westernmost pillar on the north side which stands within the choir practice-room to this norman building richard i added either where the chancel portion of the north aisle now stands or near at hand a chantry chapel known as capella beata maria de barkings juxtaturum this was for some time the most famous shrine in connection with the building and became the care of the kings of england in this chantry was placed by edward i a statue of the virgin in accordance with a command received by him in a vision before his father's death in which he was assured that he should subdue wales and scotland and would be victorious while this barking's chapel was kept in repair tradition asserts that the heart of the lion-hearted richard was placed under the altar of the chapel here but others maintain that after its removal from fontevraud where the king was buried it was sent to rouen yet in the time of the first edward an indulgence of forty days was obtained for all penitents worshipping at the shrine of the virgin at barking's chapel and in that instrument prayer is especially asked for the soul of the founder richard i whose heart is buried beneath the high altar a little later in the history of the church and its chapels we come upon the name of john tiptoff and sir john croke both of whom famous in their generations took a special interest in all hallows the former was brought into touch with the place upon his appointment as constable of the tower he was created earl of worcester by henry the sixth was the friend and supporter of caxton and has been called the nursing father of english printing a man of great learning he had studied under guarino at ferrara had occupied a professor's chair at padua was termed by walpole one of the noble authors of england is remembered as a good but ruthless soldier lawyer and politician and was in the end by the influence of warwick the kingmaker disgraced and beheaded on tower hill tiptoff founded a confraternity or guild at barking chapel and of this guild elected sir john croke to be one of the first wardens 
of tiptoff who was buried at blackfriars monastery no memorial remains here but croke's tomb we shall come upon later as we go through the church in the time of richard the third the chantry chapel comes once again into the light of fame and is known far and wide as barkingshaw richard who as we have seen was no saint when dwelling in the tower seems to have been influenced by the age and sanctity of all hallows to do good deeds and is known here only as pious benefactor he achieved this by new building this chapel and adding to the original foundation a college of priests consisting of a dean calderton a friend of richard's and six canons in the calendar of state papers domestic henry the eighth tenth july fifteen fourteen there is to be found a record of a confirmation of the chapel of st mary in the cemetery of barking church london to the guild of st mary provision is also made for the election of a master and four wardens annually for the safe custody of the said chapel if barking chapel during its long history had been the peculiar care of royalty the church after the upheavals in the time of henry the eighth and edward the sixth became the care and also the resort of the prosperous burgesses of the city it was conveniently near the tower where the king and his court were lodged and where the king's justiciars held their sittings and so became a meeting-place of representative citizens where matters could be discussed when the city and tower happened to be at variance not by any means an infrequent occurrence from early times indeed we may trace the feelings of affection which dwellers in the city and more especially in the parish have felt for their historic church in twelve sixty five we hear of sir roger de Lyborn, who was lodging in the tower meeting the representatives of the city at barking church on their proposing to make their submission to the king after the battle of evesham to that meeting came the mayor and a countless multitude of citizens again in twelve eighty the burgesses apparelled in their best attire gathered at barking church and proceeded to the tower to meet the king's justiciars for the purpose of holding an inquest or inquiring into the peace of the city gregory the mayor as we read in the liber albus of the corporation of london disputing the right of the crown to hold an inquest for the city of london for the honour of the mayoralty refused to enter the tower as mayor but laying aside his insignia and seal at the high altar of barking church as the last church in the city next the tower entered the tower merely as one of the aldermen alleging that by the ancient liberties he was not bound to attend the inquest nor to make appearance therein for judgments unless forewarned for forty days the king edward i as punishment for this disobedience abolished the office of mayor appointing a warden in his place which custom obtained till twenty six ed one when the ancient liberties of the city were restored those of the citizens who had accompanied rokesley to barking church were confined in the tower for some days and would no doubt on their return to their admiring families be looked upon with certain awe ever afterwards in the archives of the guildhall we find that in thirteen o two all hallows barking appears as one of the advowsons of the city of london belonging to the abbess and convent of barking 
but after the suppression of the convent by henry the eighth the patronage passed to the archbishop of canterbury in whose hands it remains to this day another interesting fact we gather from the ancient records of the city is that all hallows was one of the three churches where the curfew was rung each night as a warning that it was time for all good citizens to be indoors and as a precaution against fire this ancient curfew bell it is believed is that hung in the small bell turret on the tower of the church and upon which the hammer of the clock strikes the hours towards the end of the fifteenth century great changes took place with regard to the structure of the church the chantry chapels had fallen into a state of disrepair and it became necessary to rebuild the chancel to which they were attached and to strengthen the fabric of the nave it is to this rebuilding that we owe the contrast afforded by the massive pillars of the body of the church with the graceful deeply moulded perpendicular pillars of the chancel the manner in which the one style has been grafted on the other where as allen says the pillars between the chancel and the nave are singularly composed of half a circle and half a clustered column worked together attracts the attention of even the most casual observer mr fleming in his admirable little pamphlet on the church sums up the various alterations that have taken place in the structure when he says the view of the stately interior tells at once and more fully than the outside features the story of the changes that have befallen the church through the centuries since its foundation for the columns of the nave are norman the east window with its intricate tracery was the work of the sumptuous decorated period whilst the clerestory and aisles with the slender clustered shafts of the chancel arcading belong to the perpendicular style all hallows is a good instance of the manner in which entirely convinced of the supreme merits of their school of building the architects of the perpendicular period superimposed their style on what had gone before the contrast between the light clustered columns of the chancel with their beautiful splayed arches and the heavy pillars of the nave is extremely striking and almost remorseless in its hint of the supercilious ease with which the men of the tudor period parted from the past and its traditions the interior of the church was at this time embellished by mural decorations and lingering traces of the paint on one or two of the nave columns were left undisturbed during the last restoration in nineteen o four a rude screen stood in front of the new chancel and above it rose the famous dunnington organ alas no traces of either remain to us even in a museum while charles i was on the throne the interior was again renovated and during the long toll of subsequent years the history of all hallows resolves itself into a record of successive restorations few churches have been more carefully and lovingly tended than this has been and its present state of preservation is due to this interest which it has always inspired in those who appreciate its worth and beauty all hallows unlike so many other churches has not lost but gained by its restorations an old building such as this is in constant need of attention the problem has ever been the vexed one of renewing without destroying but any one who enters all hallows to-day will feel that the problem has been solved here with complete success 
the later restorations including the re-roofing restoration of the ancient battlements and preservation of the lower parts of the outer walls has cost in round figures twelve thousand pounds and every penny has been wisely spent in handing down to future generations so wonderful a memorial of the past the period of the commonwealth has left its mark in most sacred buildings as a time of pulling down but this church has the singular advantage of remembering it as a time of setting up the old stone tower which stood at the southwest corner of the building the foundations of which were uncovered a few years ago during the erection of that amazing indiscretion the warehouse which now stands upon the site was severely disturbed in sixteen forty nine when on january four of that year a blow of twenty-seven barrels of gunpowder that took fire in a ship chandler's house on the south side of the church created havoc in the immediate neighbourhood the explosion is described in strype's edition of stowe's survey it seems that the chandler was busy in his shop barrelling the powder about seven o'clock in the evening when it became ignited and blew up not merely that house but fifty or sixty others the number of persons destroyed was never ascertained for the next house but one was a tavern known as the rose which was full of company in consequence of a parish dinner it must have been very great however judging from the number of limbs and bodies which were dug up from the ruins the hostess of the tavern sitting in the bar and the waiter standing by with a tankard in his hand were found beneath some fallen beams but were dead from suffocation it is recorded that the morning after this disaster a female infant was discovered lying in a cradle on the roof of the church neither bruised nor singed the parents of the babe were never traced the child was given the surname barking adopted by the parish and lived to an adult age but while the baby was saved the heavy tower was doomed as a result of the shock it became so insecure that complete demolition was necessary during the protectorate the present tower was set up and though it is about as uninspired a piece of ecclesiastical brickwork as one can imagine yet it has a certain interest not only for having arisen during the days of cromwell but for having just barely escaped destruction when the great fire came to its base it was up this tower that the ever-curious peeps who lived near by in seething lane climbed hurriedly to see the devastation of old london the event will be found recorded in the diary under the date of september five sixteen sixty six the building of this tower brings to mind an amusing episode in the records of the church it appears that over the clock the dial of the barking church mentioned by pepys the wardens then in office put up a huge effigy of st michael weighing nearly twenty tons its right hand held a trumpet and in its left was a leaden scroll inscribed arise ye dead and come to judgment st michael having been scorched and blistered by the fire of london was taken down in sixteen seventy five there was no hustling in those days repainted and placed over the commandments at the east end of the church two smaller figures which had supported the central effigy on the wall of the tower were put up over the organ in the new organ loft at the west end where reclining gracefully they remain to this day 
st michael had a rougher time of it and was the cause of one of those absurd squabbles that too often mar the harmony of a quiet parish one or two of the congregation indicted the churchwardens at old bailey under the statute of edward the sixth against images but the prosecution was abandoned on the ground of expense a mr shearman supported the parishioners and upon his own responsibility destroyed the image this occasioned a furious war of words between him and the lecturer jonathan saunders acting as curate of the parish shearman wrote virulent pamphlets which were published by a friend of the authors to prevent false reports and addressed them to the vicar dr hicks and his wardens the latter part of this entertaining publication asserts as a dig at saunders as compared with the vicar that the men of the least learning are always the most formal it goes on to insinuate that barking parish was then as famous for its love of drinking ceremonies as for its dislike of religious formality the drinking ceremonies have certainly passed away the pamphlet concludes thus i hope our parish shall not lose an inch of its reputation nor be censured as irregular but remain a primitive pattern for all london yea and all england mr saunders replied with double-shotted guns and the shearman battery opened fire again with unfailing vigour the parishioners soon tired of the troublesome and cantankerous shearman and all his ways his statements were considered rude scurrilous and scandalous and it was recorded in the minutes of the vestry held on april twenty fourth sixteen eighty one that his attack tends to the dishonour of the church of england as now established and is a libel upon the vicar and the whole parish so ends this seventeenth century turmoil before we enter the church by the north porch our attention will be attracted by the three carved figures above the doorway that in the centre represents the virgin the church being dedicated to st mary and all saints with st ethelburga abbess of barking on one side and bishop andrews who was baptized in all hallows on the other this group as has been well said combines in one presentment three periods in the history of the church the primitive the medieval and the modern inside the porch the quaint chambers on the left are restorations of what in earlier times were it is conjectured recesses for meditation and study in front of us is the second doorway delicately carved and much weather-worn owing to exposure of the soft stone before the building of the porch the first glance we have of the interior of the church from just within this doorway must impress us with a sense of the dignity of the building north aisle as we turn to go down the north aisle we will see set in the pavement a plain square brass above the grave of george snaith auditor to archbishop laud who was buried here to be near his master in sixteen fifty one the church is singularly rich in pavement brasses and before the removals and mutilations of puritan times possessed an even more remarkable collection of these memorials at the eastern end of the aisle we come upon the curious stone commemorating thomas burby seventh vicar this is the only tomb of a pre-reformation vicar that remains in the building though the slab is worn almost smooth by the feet of so many generations yet the outlines of an elaborate design can still be traced upon it 
a rubbing taken recently showed a full-length figure with a dog lying at the feet to the left the fragment of brass towards the top of the stone bore apparently an engraving of the head and of the hands raised to the chin in an attitude of prayer virby was a remarkable man in a fifteenth-century english chronicle edited for the camden society in eighteen fifty six it appears that in the nineteenth year of king harry the friday before midsummer a priest called sir rick Reich, a vicar in essex was burnt on tower hill for heresy for whose death was a great murmuring and many simple people came to the place making their prayers as to a saint and bear away the ashes of his body for relics some were taken to prison in the tower amongst others the vicary of barking church beside the tower in whose parish all this was done virby was charged with scattering powder and spices over the place where the heretic was burnt that it might be believed that the sweet flavour came of the ashes of the dead but evidently this was considered no very great offence for virby was subsequently set free restored to his position at all hallows and died vicar in fourteen fifty three nearer the altar steps will be found the beautifully engraved brass in the french style of john bacon who died in fourteen thirty seven a heart inscribed with the word mercy and encircled by a scroll lies in the upper part of the stone and the figures of bacon and his wife cut out of latin or sheet brass and two feet one inch in length occupy the sides the treatment of the drapery of both figures is quite perfect giving too an excellent idea of the costume of the time the scroll bears the words mater dei momento mei jesu fili dei miserere mei bacon belonged to the ancient company of woolmen which seems to have been the leading guild of the middle ages its members were usually adventurous and wealthy men brasses dedicated to men of this craft are very numerous and this need excite no surprise when we remember how much of their trade was continental and particularly carried on in those countries where latin was milled bacon we may surmise from his will preserved at the guildhall was a man of substance and of many acres nearby will be seen an incised slab over the tomb of the wife of william denham alderman sheriff and master of the ironworkers company who departed this life on wednesday at five of the clock at afternoon easter week the last day of march a d fifteen forty the brass has disappeared the finely wrought canopied altar tomb against the north wall close by the bacon brass dates back to the fifteenth century it is carved in purbeck marble and at the back has two small brasses one representing a man with five sons and the other a woman with seven daughters all kneeling name and date are both gone but a shield in the left-hand corner enables us to connect the monument with the family of croke sir john croke it will be remembered was one of the early wardens of barking chapel a trustee to whom edward the fourth conveyed the lands for the support of the chapel of st mary and founder of a chantry here in fourteen seventy seven this john croke citizen leather seller and alderman of london was a generous benefactor to all hallows leaving to it at his death many gifts and sundry legacies to the altar of all hallows barking the works of the church to purchase vestments and books for the repair of the roof loft and so on 
it is quite probable that this memorial was used as a chantry altar of which there were many in the church until fifteen forty seven and the beginning of the years of spoliation a well-carved crest will be seen on the pavement stone covering the marischal tomb and nearer the altar steps a grey marble slab of the year of the great fire lies over the grave of sir roger hatton alderman whose coat of arms may be traced near the head of the stone on the north wall we find a memorial to charles wathen the indulgent parent of nine children one of which master william received his death wound in battling with a pirate in the east indies and should therefore be somewhat of a hero to all boys in the adventure stage of their careers a broken pillar on this wall was put up in sixteen ninety six in memory of giles litcott the first controller-general of the customs of england and the english colonies in america whose mother was the daughter of sir thomas overbury poisoned in the tower pepys in his account of the fire of sixteen sixty six refers to an alderman starling a very rich man without children the fire at the next door to him in our lane seething lane after our men had saved his house he did give two shillings sixpence amongst thirty of them and did quarrel with some that would remove the rubbish out of the way of the fire saying that they had come to steal this very rich man was lord mayor in sixteen seventy and his arms are depicted in stained glass in one of the windows in this aisle as a remembrance of the escape of the church from the great fire attached to the pillar behind the pulpit there remains an interesting relic in the form of an elegantly designed hat-peg the only survivor of many such pegs on the pillars of this church dating back it is believed to the early seventeenth century above the croke altar tomb to the left there is to be seen the kneeling figure of jerome bonalia an italian probably the venetian ambassador who died in fifteen eighty three and in his will thus indicates his burial place volendo che il mio corpo sia sepultra nella parrocchia di barchen chapter six part one